Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We'd like to thank those of you that are rating our podcast and leaving reviews where you're listening. That is appreciated. I read those and thank you. Our guest on today's podcast is my friend Max Terry. By way of introduction, Max is 24. He is at BYU. He's a psychology major. He graduates in 2020. He is focusing on addiction recovery. He served a mission in the Chile-Santiago mission and grew up in Springville, Utah. And the topic we're going to talk about is broadly, if you're a BYU student and you have a faith crisis or a faith transition, um, what happens if you open up to a YSA bishop? Because you may naturally want to open up to your YSA bishop about questions or concerns because they may help you, but you may in the back of your mind worry that you could lose your ecclesiastical endorsement. And then, of course, you wouldn't be able to attend BYU. So Max is aware of this issue. Um, He has friends that are in this space. He may share some of his story. Um, The purpose of this podcast is just better meet the needs of um, particularly people in our faith that are going through a faith crisis or have honest concerns about our faith. How do we minister to them and how do we um, work through these issues with them? And how, if you're a BYU student, do we work through that in particular? We're not advocating for any changes. We're just advocating just wanted to talk about how to manage this space. So if um, that's kind of the focus that we will share on this podcast, um, Max offered a really wonderful prayer before we start, and we just pray that a, wonder, a good spirit will be here as we talk about this subject. Um, is that a go okay by way of introduction, Max? That's perfect. You nailed it. Let's just get you talking about, before we get into the main subject, um, I'm just impressed with youth of your age because they take on these majors they are often focused focused about helping other people. Tell us about why you want to go into addiction recovery. Um, yeah, so I guess it kind of started on my mission. Um, it seemed that I was running into a lot of people that were struggling with addiction, especially substance abuse, uh, drinking, and uh, other substances. But um our mission had kind of a plan for these people to overcome their addiction that I found out about kind of later in my mission. So I was trying to help these people and then I found out we had a plan and then that plan seemed to work better than what I was doing before. So it got me interested in uh, different approaches into addiction. And then since I've been back, I've been working at a rehab and uh, just seeing a, a bunch of different people come through. What kind of addictions? And is there an age group? And what kind of work do you do at that rehab? Yeah, so at that rehab, it's 18 and up, but it's 18 to 80. So all sorts of different people. Um, and it's substance abuse. But um, it's just interesting um, the how addiction can affect anybody, the broad spectrum of people that deal with it. And uh, just what works for some people, what doesn't work for other people. Um, I, I don't think we're as knowledgeable as we should be. And so that, that's what makes it exciting, studying it, everything. Yeah. Um, working with people with addictions, does it develop? I mean, sometimes when you see people close up, you, you develop more empathy and compassion because you better understand the totality of their situation. Does that happen at times for you? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, especially since I got this job. Just because I'm with them so often that I don't view them as people like addicts trying to overcome this problem they have. They're just friends that I've made. Um, So you get to see people for just who they are. 
and addiction is just one thing that they're struggling with. And sometimes when I see people like that, I realize that the difference between them and me is a, is sometimes very small. Yeah, or no difference at all. <laughs> Tell us why you say that. I well, especially with addiction, um, I think it could hit anybody if they're not careful, or um, it it just seems that people that are there aren't the typical people you'd expect to, to be struggling with what they are. Yeah. yeah no. And then I've learned a little bit with addiction that often it's a coping mechanism for other stuff that comes in their life that may not be any, that may not be their fault. And it just generates pain. And it sometimes is a way just to cope with or mute or deal with the pain. And that then lead me to an addiction. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, that's, that's a very interesting point. And especially once we get into like the neurobiology of what's actually going on. That's the research that I'm doing at BYU is um, just an, an intervention that we have to help people with anxiety and uh, hopefully to raise dopamine levels, but to do it in a way that we're really trying to target um, specific parts of the brain. And I think if we could get good at the science and we could do a lot of help for people. What do you hope to do with this degree? When you go down the road, when you're, what do you want to do in your 30 or 40? Do you know, or are you like some that don't exactly know? Um, I guess I have an idea. Things don't always go as planned, <laughs> but my, my idea and the plan would be to get a doctorate and to study it um, at, a, at a school that's with a professor that knows what they're doing. <laughs> cool. Um, and then eventually own a private clinic or like a rehab. That would be my goal. Yeah. That's great. Um, follow your dream. Mm-hmm. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that the difference between um, a lot of people had equal ability, but it was the people that sort of had the motivation. That was often the tiebreaker skill and the people had a little more vision of what they wanted to do. And they didn't look around and think of all the reasons they couldn't do it. Often it wasn't the smartest one in the room that got somewhere Mm. um, or the one that seemed to be the most put together. It was often the one in my experience, looking back that just had a little bit more vision and a little more motivation. And a lot of people have the ability to do what you describe. So it's cool. Follow your dreams, man. You can do it. (laughs) I need Uh, it. Talk about, um, so here, let's go to BYU. Um, I don't know how many students are BYU. You, there's a lot. Yeah. Our, my wife and I have a couple there, and some would go to BYU and start um, with very traditional beliefs in our faith. And and over time, those beliefs could change to the point where they're not sure about our faith. Um, and they may want to open up mm-hmm. to to local leaders, but they're worried about that. Just kind of serve up the the, the situation, what it would feel like to be a BYU student in that situation? Um, yeah, I think you mentioned someone that, for example, just got home from their mission is in a different spot where I'm at as a senior at BYU. Um, you know, just sitting in a religion class and I have a question, you know, I'm worried about even raising my hand and asking something because I don't want to stir something up for someone that hasn't dealt with that yet. They will when the time comes. Um, so yeah, it does in a way feel like I've got these questions and there's stuff that I'm working with or trying to work through. Um, 
that I think are just, I think are well-intentioned, but that feeling like I can't, you know, express it fully or freely in the way that I would want because of um, maybe fear, even if it's perceived or real of getting in trouble, I guess, or putting my academics in, in a, a spot where I might have to leave BYU. And where would the typical BYU student want to open up? You mentioned religion class. Would it be, I'm thinking of a YSA bishop, um, and I guess married BYU students would be in the same boat, so it doesn't necessarily need to be a YSA bishop, a religion class. Well, there are venues that BYU students probably like to open up, they're worried about opening up. Yeah, I think uh, YSA bishop would be, I, I think that'd be ideal if there was... Um, the bishop of your ward was understanding and you could talk to them and they understand that you're not trying to be rebellious. You're not trying to um, start commotion when there's nothing there. You have these things that you're trying to work through and they're even hard to talk about because, you know, you're so structured to the church and you're wanting to do what's best and to feel like there's complications with that it, it's really hard to deal with so if there was a way that you could be open with YSA bishops and YSA bishops I, I think they are like this I've had good and, and not so good YSA bishops but the majority are like that um, I would hope that BYU students don't need to feel that fear of um, hiding stuff that they're going through. On an ex, I don't know if the right word is extreme, but let's say I'm a BYU student and I actually, um, in my, I lose faith in our church and actually um, would like to step away from our church. Um, and um, I assume that that would um, eliminate my ability to stay at BYU if I opened up to a bishop, if I were leaving the church, because I wouldn't get an ecclesiastical endorsement. Is that correct? Um, yes, that is correct. I I have talked about this. There's actually a few professors at, professors at BYU that I've um, been able to talk to about this. And I think what we've talked about and what's made me feel a lot better about that is um, not to focus so much on the, I suppose, the details, it, because those those are problems and they need to be addressed. But while I'm at BYU, the main thing that I really want to focus on is um, what it means to have, you know, be a committed disciple, what it means to really dedicate your life to something bigger than you and something that you feel is meaningful and good. And um, so trying to figure out how the institution of the church plays into that is, I guess, what I, I have gone through. And I think a lot of other BYU students have gone through. And um, yeah, you don't need to make that decision at BYU. You can work through that. There's lots of other people going through it. You can work through it with other people. But if we can be honest, it, it'd really help out. Yeah. Any feeling how if, if we could do a survey of all the BYU students in a faith crisis, and I would just define that as they're not sure if they're going to be able to stay in the church. Mm -hmm. If we took that sample, any feeling for what percent of those are opening up to trusted adults, either a professor or a bishop? Um, 
I, I don't even have an estimate. I think it'd be more than we think. That are opening up? That are going through that, but are probably not opening up. Um, because I, I know I have friends at BYU that feel like they want to be, they're not sure. And because they can't be open about it, they want to leave. And so it's kind of like, I'm, a, I'm just going to try and get through BYU. And then when I'm done, I'm going to be out. And I think that mindset isn't the healthiest because it just kind of shows that you have to kind of grind this out and BYU is not this enjoyable experience when it, it could be. Um, if, if a student can be honest and open, maybe with the YSA Bishop, with uh, BYU professors, then um, BYU is, is awesome. It's really enjoyable. The, the education is awesome. The people there are like some of the best friends I've, I've met. So why is it important to open up if you're in a faith crisis or whatever label we're going to all call this Yeah, <laughs> faith transition, faith journey, stepping forward, you know, just all the terms. Um, why is it important if I'm in that space to be able to talk to others? Um, that's a good question. I think that, if you get down to it, what I think the essential part of a faith crisis is what it is, is how are you going to conduct your life in the best way possible? And if it feels like this traditional way that I've done and I've seen other people do, isn't matching up with the way that I'm seeing it. I, I don't know how to connect those two things. Um, and then it grows further and further apart if you can't be honest. Um, I accidentally pressed the pause button, listeners, so we may have lost the last few words uh, of Max. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just, I, our listeners have heard me probably be honest with what I call a mini faith crisis that occurred when I was a singles word bishop, not at BYU. And it, it was, um, you know, it, it ended and it stabilized to the point where I've considered myself a real traditional believing Latter-day Saint. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allowed me to understand the road that others walk and it humanized their experience because in some ways I felt that. And, um, but as I think about that, I did open up to my stake president, not my YSA stake president, but my home stake president who I'd known for decades, um, Dave Sturt, our local stake president. And I felt comfortable opening up to him um, and he helped me. Um, and it was, I could have opened up to people obviously that had left the church that I thought maybe could identify with some of my concerns, but I, I think opening up with two people in our church is a better road. And so then we've got to create a way that I'm signaling that I'm safe to open up. And my local stake president, President Sturt, um, validated how I felt, even if I, he didn't feel the same way. He didn't sort of give me a spiritual list of, of tools to sort of make me feel better or to fix me. He validated how I felt. And uh, he, we kind of, kind of talked about fallen dominoes. And for me, I, I had a couple fallen dominoes that represented my mini faith crisis, but they hit dominoes with deeper roots. And so it kind of ended there. Um, but he gave me sort of permission to have fallen dominoes, and it was probably the right thing for me to hear. Um, and 
of course, you know, I want to do everything in this podcast and in my personal ministry to help people that um, want to stay, find a way to stay. Mm-hmm. And so I recognize if I'm a BYU student, just, you know, instead of, and I'm, I need safe places to open up. And I didn't worry about my ecclesiastical endorsement, so to speak. I didn't worry that I was going to be released as a YSA bishop, to be honest, when I opened up to my local state prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have someplace safe to go. And I also recognized that since I wasn't a BYU YSA bishop, that the YSAs, uh, probably it probably was just easier for them to open up to me because um, it didn't impact any schooling that was so important to them. So it's just interesting to think about this space. Um, talk more about, um, talk about if you divided the honor code or an ecclesiastical endorsement into two kind of categories, we talked about this before the podcast. Do you, do you want to talk about those two categories? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess one way to put it is there's like the behavioral side of the honor code. And there's also the faith side of the honor code. And I have no problem with honor code standards, living standards. I'm all for that. I think that's great. Um, what I hope is that with the, the faith part of it, um, BYU students could realize that if they are going through challenging times that um, that they could be open with their YSA bishop. That once you are open about things that you're struggling with, it it cuts it down a lot. Um, you can recognize what is actually going on, and you have a better idea of how to approach it. Um, so I I hope that that part of the honor code, and I think a lot of it, like I've said it a couple of times, I think a lot of it is perceived. Um, you, if you're just stuck in your head thinking about it and you can't talk to your bishop or anyone about it, then it kind of grows out of, Why? out of control. Why? Um, just because if if you don't state it, then it could be a hundred different things that are wrong. But once it gets out and you can talk to someone, you realize, oh, a lot of those things I was just imagining. A lot of those things were just in my head. Um, and if you the YSA bishop is understanding, then even the couple of things that you that are hard aren't as hard as you thought, and you have people that you can go through with it together. Do you know if a YSA, if I'm a YSA at BYU, and I open up to my YSA bishop and say, Bishop, I, I don't know if I can stay a member of this church. I don't know if I believe in all the temple recommend questions. Do you know, is that why I say Bishop required to tell BYU that or, or do you know? I, I I don't know. That's something that I, even if I felt like I was in that position, I, I wouldn't just because I, it didn't feel worth it to say that to my Bishop. If I really was trying to figure out what I believed, and I still do like being LDS, but I'm not exactly sure where my stance is in that church. Um, yeah, I, I probably, I, I never mentioned that to Isaac. Will you tell our listeners just the ecclesiastical, I should know this since I'm mm-hmm. a parent, but my wife knows this better than I do of BYU kids. How often do you need an ecclesiastical endorsement? Uh, each year. So and around, at the beginning of the fall, so the school year? Yeah, it renews in the fall. I 
usually starts in March, the the process, but yeah, each fall it renews. And is it the same as Temple Recommend questions or is it a different set of questions? There's the the honor code uh, living standards and then I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, but um, regular church attendance is part of the the faith side. Um, I don't I don't know exactly, but it's pretty similar to the temple recommend question. So it does gauge your level of testimony, belief in the church, and mm-hmm. so selected. Yeah. And then if I'm senior, I don't need that. If I just enroll in my senior year, I don't need an, another ecclesiastical endorsement. So, so you and your case are. And other seniors like you that are graduating this year, they don't do another ecclesiastical endorsement at graduation. Yeah. Sometimes at seminary graduation in high school, I remember we used to kind of circle around with the, for the kids and make sure they were still temple worthy to finally get their graduation. But it does that doesn't occur. It's just the beginning of the school year. Yeah. Um, it's just an interesting thing because I think to minister to people, they need to be... F- they need to be able to fully open up to people that have priesthood responsibility for them. Mm-hmm. And so what could a bishop do to signal? So let's say I'm a YSA bishop at BYU, and I want any YSA members in my ward to know that if they're in a faith crisis and have really honest questions that I'm safe to open up to, and that it and we're not going to talk ecclesiastical status during that interview. I just want you to be able to talk to me. What could I say? What could I do? Um, I think listening, compassion, um, I these things are complicated. And when we try to give advice on how to go through them, sometimes it's not always applicable to other people. Um, more than anything, if, if for me personally, if I knew like my bishop has my back, that um, regardless of my belief, you know, he treats me like I'm part of the team. Um, we're we're all in this together. That's gonna make me really want to be a strong believing member because I can see that this is good. And I'm not trying to pin this on the bishop. Like this is contingent on what he does, but it does make a difference um, when you can be open because if you're not and you feel like going to church is an obligation and you're sitting in the crowd and every talk you're, <laughs> you're just nitpicking what you don't like, um, it like that, that's obviously not good. Um, I think that can be avoided by being open with the YSA bishop and open to other people about what you're going through. Yeah, I like that answer. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm a YSA bishop, what could I communicate over the pulpit um, that would help YSAs know that um, I'm safe to talk to? And I might just talk about this frankly like this. I might, um, or I might go into Elders Quorum one week and release society the next week and say, hey, some of you may be going through a faith crisis and you're wondering if that could affect your ecclesiastical endorsement. And I think this would be appropriate. I just, I want to have those conversations with you. We're not going to talk ecclesiastical endorsement, but you need to know that I'm safe for you to open up to about how you feel. And I want to walk with you on that road and minister to you. And I think I look at the, I look at the 
you know, the, the sheep, the shepherd knew the lost sheep well enough. I don't want to say anybody that's in a faith transition is a lost sheep, but I think the principle, the, sh- the shepherd knew the lost sheep well enough to know why he left and where to find him. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, it would really be good if people felt safe opening up to a bishop and a bishop probably has to signal that I'm safe and that I, if you're in this space, I want to walk with you and I want to hear your story. And we're not going to talk ecclesiastical endorsement, um, especially if it's a belief issue. A behavior issue could be different, mm-hmm. but I think especially a belief issue. And um, I like Elder Uchtdorf's talk. You may be familiar with it, Max. Um, um, it's a talk from October 2014, Testimony in Light of Truth. And one of the lines in there, I know of no sign at the door that says our testimony must be this tall to enter. Mm-hmm. And so if I gave that kind of a talk or over the pulpit and sort of used words of Elder Oakdorf and said, I want everybody to feel like they're welcome in the congregation. And if you have a testimony that doesn't feel very high, to use Elder Oakdorf's words, and, you, and you're worried about your testimony, come talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds great. I Just being very straightforward like that, I, I think would be awesome because maybe people are trying to address that that group of people but it's not very straightforward it's almost like they're talking in a way that maybe they might be addressing people going through faith crisis but to be straightforward and there's no doubt about it and letting them know like what you said they can come talk to you and there's no pressure you're just there to help that that would go really long way. And I think we have to develop a culture where we're not trying to find a bogeyman in those that are going through faith crisis mm-hmm. or even those that perhaps have stepped away from our church. I think because then if I'm listening in church about how we talk about people that um, are having honest questions about our church or we sort of um, criminalize doubt, then if I'm in that ward, it just puts me further in the closet, so to speak, about my faith crisis. And I go, well, this isn't safe for me to talk about because they're talking about people like me in a negative way mm-hmm. and sort of trying to humanize people. And Elder Uchtdorf does some really good jobs, humanizes people with honest questions. And he has even a quote where he tries to humanize people um, that step away. And maybe I'll read that. Um, I don't have that right here, but... Um, I don't have that right here. Um, so I, You don't have it memorized? I don't have it memorized, <laughs> Max. It's sort of the one where he says, you know, he talks about people that step away and we honest their, honor their agency. And he mm. says they have honest questions. And some of our members have, have fought for years about some of these questions. And I love the way he, he didn't invite people to leave, but he didn't want to increase the tension between people that stay and people that have honest questions and people that leave. And I'd love that. Because I think that's what Christ's ministry was about, um, was trying to honor people where they are and help them feel like they belong. I asked a question on Twitter. Some of you have heard this question. Um, For those of you that hold a temple recommend, please indicate your testimony to the church. And I got 16, 1100 respondents, and they could answer in four different categories. And 41% said, I know it's true. Remember, these are temple recommending holders. 33% said, I believe it's true. 15% said, I hope it's true. And 11% said, I'm not sure it's true. And my point is, I wrote here is, behind each testimony type may be a member doing their best to honor their covenants and come into Christ. 
Maybe one's focus or the requirements of parents or leaders in their spiritual journey shouldn't be to move to an I know testimony. This may cause to some feel broken. They can't ever get there, feeling they don't belong. To some is given to know and to some is given to believe as we teach in D&C 46, 13 through 14. Our culture needs to normalize all testimony types or more will step away. Any thoughts on that? I That's... That's wonderful. I I totally agree with that. Not to differentiate people with um, their their beliefs, what they're going through. So, you know, I look at the, um, I do look at this question and I think, you know, there's a 15% said, I hope it's true. 11% said, I'm not sure it's true. And they hold temporary recommends. And I would think, if I'm a YSA bishop, I would love those people to open up to me um, yeah, about that, how they that, feel. That's uh, that's crazy. There was how many people? Well, and this my Twitter feed is probably skews younger millennial, but it probably skews your age group, Max, mm. and people at BYU that hold the temple recommend. So if I ask people my age, they're probably not on Twitter anyway. At age, I'm 58. I'm the oldest person on Twitter, I think. <laughs> um, that actually, well. Yeah, I mean, there's a few people my age, but I just recognize there's a range of testimonies. So 41% said, I know it's true, 33% believe, 15 hope, and 11 not sure. And I just think all, we, I don't think Christ would look at those four groups of people and look at their heart and maybe see differences. I Yeah, I agree. Um, it With numbers like that, you, you start to wonder maybe, Asking, do you think the church is true is maybe that's not the right question to be asking. Um, maybe the right question to be asking is um, very specific personal relationship with Christ and how how is that enhanced through the church? What are ways that you found that are making it feel more real to you in your life? And that that's what I've gotten the most out of BYU professors that are sharing what they're going through is it's not, this is why black and white statement. It's I, I have found a lot of comfort and a lot of joy viewing the gospel through this lens. And I'm a psychology major. So a lot of those are uh, like therapeutic ways that they found in their practice or through their school that they, that they associate with the gospel and, and even with Christ. So to view it like that um, makes a lot of sense and it, it feels a lot more real. And I think as I've, as my testimonies evolved, when I bear my testimony, I, I do make it more about my relationship with Heavenly Father, mm-hmm. um, the role of the Savior to atone for my sins and bring hope and healing in my life. Um, the role of the church to help me come unto Christ. I sometimes feel like uh, the goal, if if my goal is to come unto Christ and have a relationship with Heavenly Father, mm-hmm. that's my goal, and that represents like an island on the ocean. And the church to me is the current in the water that's pushing me towards the goal. Mm. It's not the end, in other words. It, the end isn't necessarily the final resting pot is not my relationship with the church. It's my relationship with the church in the sense it causes me to come into Christ. And it's a means to that end. 
and it works for me. Mm-hmm. And um, my mission, my temple experiences, our restored doctrine is helping me come into Christ um, and be a better disciple and better uh, minister to other people and help other people. So that's kind of, I think that's maybe a little bit of the long, but sometimes that current for me um, because of the limitations of our church pushes me in a different direction. It makes it a little harder mm-hmm. when I see some of our history or our current things or our culture. So sometimes it's not just that current's just not always just like going at 12 knots, pushing me towards the island. I Sometimes it makes it harder for me. Hmm. So that's kind of for our listeners. That's how I manage, you know, my, that's sort of my relationship with the church and how I look at that. Um, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah. Sound, it seems like, yeah, the goal is to figure out how the church can initiate you in, into action, into uh, living, living out what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Um, I think some people that are going through this faith crisis, um, they're struggling with what the institution of the church means. And even, you know, what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? What does, who is Christ? Who is uh, heavenly father, heavenly mother? Um, And if it, it doesn't, it feels a little bit hollow to try to force that or the, the traditional way of viewing it doesn't resonate with you. Trying to force that isn't beneficial if there is an actual way of connecting with, with whatever that is. And um, maybe the, the titles of it aren't as important as the actual, I love that the actual experience of it. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And one of the things that comes to my mind is the scripture in Moses, one heart and one mind. Um, and I think part of that then is to, you know, work together to bear one another's burdens. And I've always thought one heart and one mind, Max, meant that we all felt the same about. And now I think it's more, um, we all have the common goal to, you know, honor our baptism covenants, which to me is a horizontal element my responsibility to reach out and serve others and a vertical element, my relationship with God. And I've always, and so I like, but in that goal, there's a lot of differences. It sometimes I used, so I used to think one heart and one mind is we all have uniform beliefs about everything. Mm -hmm. And now I don't believe that way. Mm -hmm. We just have the same common goals and we're working towards the same common goals. Yeah. I love that. That's, when I hear that, I think of Zion, everyone has the same goal in mind. And if it looks a little bit different, that's okay. As long as we're all, we're, we have unity and we're all in this together and we have the same goal. Um, I did another Twitter poll that same week. And I says, if you're an active Latter-day Saint and in a faith crisis, is your hope, and they only had two choices here, Max, is your hope to find a way to stay or to find a way to leave? And there were 335 people that qualified. They said, yeah, I'm active and I'm in a faith crisis. And 88% said they want to find a way to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and only 12% found, said they want to find a way to leave. And that surprised me. 
Um, but after meeting with so many people in a quote of faith crisis, um, at least in the initial stages, their goal was not to somehow find a way to leave. Um, cause this is, and those that were in a faith crisis that are really given a lot to the church, not someone who stepped away at age 13 and never was fully vested, but returned missionaries. People have been through the temple, people that have paid tithing for a long time, were deeply invested into the church, um, Many BYU students are like that, um, and just how difficult it was sometimes. You know, they wanted to find a way to stay, mm-hmm. um, but they wanted to f- authentically find a way to stave, save and sort of resolve some of their questions in a way that was sustainable. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think it seems like maybe every everyone has experienced that. Um, so to feel like that's unique to you it probably isn't accurate. Um, but then again, I also think that the, the question of, do you want to stay or do you want to leave seems to sidestep kind of what's actually happening of this person is feeling a lot of distress and they need, um, they need love and that deciding if they're going to be in the church or out of the church. Um, at least when I hear that, it kind of makes me think, um, you're, you're not addressing what that person needs, that that person is going through something difficult and they explain that and explain the emotional toll that might be occurring to somebody. Um, that, at least when I hear that, it makes me think you're viewing that person not as a person. It's like, there's a division between people in the church and people outside of the church. And if, as long as you're willing to be in the church, we'll help, we'll, we can work this through. But as soon as you decide you're out of this church, then um, you're, you're out. And it, and it feels like that division doesn't really need to be there. Um, people that are committed to the LDS faith, um, they seem confident in their faith and they don't need to make that huge distinction between them and other people. I like that. And I've, as I've met with people in a faith crisis, I was surprised at the emotional toll it takes on them. It's not a very happy time emotionally mm-hmm. because of the turmoil. Um, and a lot of that isn't something they cu- they went out and sought. It's not sin-related. It's often very thoughtful people that have that are some of the most sincere about what they believe. And that sincere truth-seeking um, or desire to fully understand our restoration or our current issues, LGBTQ women, often it's some of the most thoughtful people I know that get in this space where they kind of look under the hood and recognize there's some challenges. Mm-hmm. Elder Snow, in an interview I heard him do recently, called him warts on the restoration. Um, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm term. It was acknowledging that there's some warts and it's not just always smooth glass at Bear Lake at 7 a.m. on a summer day. Um, I don't know why that came to my mind, but it did. <laughs> it's very specific. Um, and so I think that, yeah, that, you know, and I'm sure you've heard that from fellow students is this is a very difficult time emotionally. And so people need to minister be able to kind of go there emotionally and honor how difficult this is and validate that pain as they're trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, one thought that I had is from a 
kind of like a psychological perspective, your the way you view the world is a series of beliefs. And if that feels out of line and it's not unified, then almost everything that you're going through and day-to-day experience feels not unified and it feels like you're separated and there's a disconnection. Um, so when people are going through these faith crisis, they're going through these deep assumptions that they have on life. And if they're negative and they're causing them harm, it's not just their testimony of the church. It's the way they're, they are with other people, their family. Um, maybe it's making them not the person that they want to be. So to, to figure out what you believe, um, and to have people around you that are going through that and you guys and everyone has the same goal of being, being committed to the highest good or committed to Christ. I, I think that that would be a really good solution to feeling that way. There is something about being able to open up to trusted people that just seems to be, I'm not a psychology major, but it just seems to be something that is needed, human connection, authentic community, authentic human connection to be able to share our lives with each other. Seems to be such an important human need. I asked, I'm still on Twitter, Max, going through some of these slides that I've shared maybe in the past. Some of you listeners have heard these and some haven't. If you are an active Latter-day Saint and in a faith crisis, have you told your current bishop? Oh, yeah? And 606 responded to this question, and it was just yes or no. Okay. And um, only 14% had said yes. Yeah. Does that surprise you? That doesn't surprise me. Um, it surprises me that so many people are going through that and feel like there's there's not a good solution. Um I, I I also understand bishops and I understand um, authorities in the church. If there are these people that are struggling, it's difficult to know what to say to them or their spot within the church. So it, it it's complicated all around, but um, yeah, I, if all the, if that 86% were open about it, I think, our church would be better. Yeah. And I just I kind of go back to my own experience. I, when I was going through this process, I did open up to somebody I felt I could trust. Mm-hmm. And that was a very helpful experience for me. And it helped because we were peers. We'd been friends for a couple of decades. I knew I could trust him. Mm-hmm. And so I opened up to him, but I recognize if I'm a BYU student and I don't have a relationship and there's this potential of ecclesiastical endorsement hanging, you know, in the wings, then I might be less likely to open up. And guys, you know, I want more people to stay in our church. That's one of the reasons I do this podcast, you know, is because I believe in our church and I believe... um, we're losing sometimes really good people because of how, and I may have been guilty of this at times, how we minister to people when they open up with honest questions. And that can be a time when we can accelerate someone leaving or help someone to stay. So I'm so sensitive to how 
Um, but I do believe people need to open up. If there's obviously people have left the church that others can open up to <laughs> that have questions and they may feel like eventually they'll belong with those that left the church because that's the only people that they can talk to and sort of honor how they feel and they feel a real connection there. And and some of that may be really valid because they have no longer hold trad- traditional LDS beliefs and do not feel this is their place. So I don't want to um, sort of demonize anybody that stepped away because I recognize really thoughtful people do. But I just, this is why, you know, we're doing this podcast with Max and I think BYU in particular, that age group is the way we need to better create space that people can open up. More thoughts on that? Um, I, we've nailed it. I think it's okay. got a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and I do th- come back to what Max said. If you think about the temple recommend questions or um, the ecclesiastical endorsement questions, they are really divided into two groups. There's belief questions and behavior questions. And um, the behavior questions, at least for the temple recommender, around tithing, law of chastity, living the word of wisdom, belief around faith in God, testimony of the atonement, testimony of the restoration. And I remember when I was a YSA bishop um, that some of the YSAs could fully answer the behavior questions, but struggled on the belief questions. But yet, as it says in Alma 32, 27, had a desire to believe and wanted to attend the temple. And I felt in some situations the wise had more control to re- to meet the behavior questions versus the belief. Um, and they're just different spiritual gifts. So the longer I served, the more I wanted to create space that the YSAs would open up. Not necessarily in a temple recommend session, because that can sometimes be not the right place to open up because everything's kind of on the line. Mm-hmm. But to have those conversations outside of a temple recommend question or outside of an ecclesiastical endorsement interview and be able to have thoughtful discussions and a feeling to give more latitude to the YSAs that were probably doing the best they could on belief. Mm-hmm. And um, that probably is a good point to... Um, I hear a lot of stories of where the tension of um, this opening up sometimes happens in the temple recommend question. Um, and I've I've always thought it would be better to separate the temple recommend interview from these kind of discussions or an ecclesiastical endorsement. And 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 maybe I'm going back to if I were a YSA bishop at BYU saying, hey, YSAs, Here's the deal. If you're in a faith crisis, have honest questions, and want to talk about that, know that I'm safe. We're not going to talk temple recommend. We're not going to talk ecclesiastical endorsement. We're just going to have an honest, I want you to feel safe opening up to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to share that message with all of you in Elders Quorum, all of you in Relief Society or over the pulpit in a combined meeting and just say that's an operating rule in our ward because I want to walk with you and I want you to feel safe opening up. And um, cause it may not be the best time to open up a temple recommend. And if some of you are in a faith crisis, you might proactively reach out to your bishop and say, Hey, Bishop, I, I don't want to talk temple recommend right now or ecclesiastical endorsement. I just need to share with you how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that okay? Am I safe opening up to you without fear of losing temple privileges? Um, and be clear, it's not a, a behavior issue that would be different than a belief issue. Any thoughts on that, Max? Yeah. Um, the, the idea of a YSA bishop reaching out is great. And then also 
um, toward specifically towards BYU, non-religious BYU professors that could be open to their classes. Um, they not only of their testimony, but of their their faith journey and how they've worked through that and the conclusions that they've come to. When you say non-religious professors, are those LDS professors oh, or sorry. professors of yeah, other yeah. faiths? LDS professors that are not in the religious department. That that did sound a little bit confusing. So okay, so they're believing professors yeah. that they're not in the re, they're not in the religion department. Yeah, I don't. I think they're great resources because they're some of the smartest LDS that have taken a long time to think these difficult issues through very carefully. And I found that they've had, they've had really good perspectives that have helped me. How do you know that you can open up to a professor? Cause I do hear as I interact with BYU students and it surprised me. And sometimes with the LGBTQ students, some of their best um, mentors or support systems or are BYU professors and they just know they can trust this BYU professor um, outside of an academic setting to open up. And I think that's awesome. But how talk about that and what a professor can do to communicate um, she or he is safe. Um, I, I think maybe any professor would be good. I, I haven't had a bad experience with a professor and reaching out to them. Um, but like I said earlier, if, if professors wanted to be a little bit more forward about their faith journey and what they've been through. Um, and in their own words and the way that they see most clearly what, what makes the most sense to them really helps. Um, I'm going to read just, um, a section from the book planted. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Have you read that book? Yeah. Um, that book was helpful for me. Um, in my own personal journey and then to better minister to others. It gave me a lot of tools, but one of my favorite lines from that, that brother Patrick Mason writes, oftentimes are squeezed out, squeezed sisters and brothers. And I think those that don't feel like they fully believe fully fit in or hold all the same traditional beliefs, um, fully embrace the basic principles of the ordinance of the gospel. Sometimes they feel alienated by the dominant political conservatism among the members or a sense the church membership is an all or nothing proposition or heart-filled questions about whether women and girls have all the opportunity for spiritual growth and recognition in the church as boys and men do, or how the church ministers to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Some people can bear testimony all the basic principles of the restored gospel, but disagree with certain aspects of the dominant cultural, economic, political, or ideological views held by most other members. And sometimes feel their presence is unwelcome or that things that they feel strongly about are not only dismissed, but in some ways held in suspicion by fellow members, feeling isolated or alienated and sometimes pressured. They sense there's no place for them in the church in spite of their core commitments. And then they leave. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have... I I would be curious about what what feels acceptable as to be a member. Um, 
because what I've seen is that there's people that do want to be LDS, but if there's this list of problems that they have and they can't reconcile that with being LDS, then what do they do? And is it an option to say, look, here are my problems and I have come to my conclusion. I know what I believe about that, but I still want to be LDS and I still want to contribute to what is the overall goal throughout the church. I, it would be, I think that's a conversation that we should have. And, um, it, it, is there even a line to that? Maybe someone in, in a sense of like the bulletproof of temple recommend questions or belief subscription, uh, beliefs that we have, how, do you need to believe those? Do you, is it okay? Is there wiggle room to interpret those in your own way? And can you do that while still feeling authentic and honest to yourself? Um, because I, it doesn't feel very helpful to have these problems and then maybe talk to a bishop and then he says, okay, let's, let's work through this so that you don't have these issues anymore. And you, change your mind about how you think about these things, because that's, that's just, that's not going to happen. People think what they think and feel what they feel. And we shouldn't try to change that. I, it would be great if there was, um, I don't know if it's cultural. I don't know if it's, if it really is strict doctrinal doc in doctrine terms that you need to follow these, um, beliefs, to the T, um, in terms of what you actually think about them. I, I really hope that there's room for people to say, here's what I think and here's what I feel, but I still want to be LDS. Max, what you just said is so honest and, and so well said. And I just think you speak for a lot of people with great hearts that say, I'm not sure I'll ever reconcile, you know, if, if, if LDS faith represents a hundred beliefs, um, I'm not sure I'll ever reconcile these 10 core beliefs about the church that the church holds that I just, I don't hold. And is there a place for me? Mm-hmm. And I hope there is. I think of Christ and his example and his welcoming and accepting everybody where they are and telling everybody they belong, that people said shouldn't be here. He invited them to be here. So I think I answer that question from Christ's example. And I look at his ministry and I think he would say, you know, if we'll just take you the way you are, um, it, it's not a 20 point check. It's not a hundred point checklist, you know, and if you hold less and if you hold in my example, 10 or 20 out of a hundred that, and they're just fallen dominoes that aren't coming up. You're not looking for a priesthood leader to restand those dominoes. Mm-hmm. You're just looking for a priesthood leader to create space for you to stay with those fallen dominoes. And I think there's a lot of members that would like to stay in our church in those terms. Yeah. And I think my reaction as a priesthood leader five or six years ago would be just what you said. I we probably shouldn't do is to focus on all those things that are fallen dominoes and make the conversation all about that and give you a list of things that I think you should do that would help you resolve those Mm -hmm. in the way that I think they should be resolved so that you don't have any fallen dominoes. Um, And that's what my own stake president didn't do for me. 
He didn't require me to straighten up those dominoes, and they've never straightened up. Now, I don't evangelize people to my fallen dominoes, which you're, which I don't think you are or others. You're just saying, this is where I've landed, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to feel authentic with how I feel, and I want to be here, but I... I need, you know, I hope that someone like me can be seen for their contributions, their spiritual gifts to help the body of Christ and not be seen by someone with quote unquote fallen dominoes. And I've always felt there shouldn't be a belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in a congregation and to feel like you belong. I think Elder Uchtdorf teaches that with that. There's no sign of the testimony. I've I've felt um if someone wants to b- participate in the temple and believes in the temple, that we should do everything we can to help them be in the temple. But some would say, I'm fine um, not participating in the temple. Um, I know I don't hold all the beliefs required to go in the temple, and I don't necessarily want to have temple attendance right now. But can you just, can I just feel like I belong in the congregation and contribute? I could still teach a class without a temple recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I'm teaching the, what the church would want me to teach as a teacher. So I've thought about, you know, members that want to belong in the church but don't hold temple recommends, how should we treat them? And I think we should treat them as full members of the body of the Christ and not look at them as as second-class citizens or in any different way than those that hold temple recommends. It, keeping my co- my covenant doesn't give me permission to assess if you're keeping your covenant, so to speak, or or if you're keeping a temple recommend or not, or where you are. My covenants teach me I should just put my arms around everybody in my congregation and help them feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. So I've thought a lot about that because you articulated it. So I I think of how best to meet that need. And and that's the way I'd, and I'd probably just give you sort of trust you. I'd probably say, Max, if I'm your wife, say Bishop, and if you opened up like this and said, this is how you feel, these days, I'd say, Max, I just trust you, man. Mm-hmm. I recognize you've you've your track record of serving a mission, um, getting a degree in psychology, working in addiction recovery. To me, you've got this track record of wanting to do the right thing, and I just trust you. And I'd say, I just trust you to continue to do the right thing. Stay close with God. Keep your relationship with God intact as best you can with the Savior. And I just want you to feel we're better off in the body of Christ with you here. And we'll take you on, we'll, we'll just let you kind of chart. I wouldn't kind of get prescriptive and say, this is how you do it. I'd say, Max, you tell me how I can support you hmm. and what can I do? Are you okay with all that? Yeah, I love that. That has not been my lived experience in the church. And that, and I, I don't, I kind of feel like complaining. I, I'm not trying at all to complain. Um, I'm not trying to say this is how I feel and the church should change to address how I feel. That's not at all what I'm saying. It, it does feel like, uh, it's the way that's presented is that it's dichotomous. You're in it or you're out of it. And I, I want to be, or BYU students are going through this also. I think the majority want to be a part of it, um, with, the assurance that they're, they've thought carefully about these things and maybe even feel inspired. Like this is, I, I really think this is how I feel. And I feel this bumping against, bumping up against what 
is perceived to be how I should feel. And I, I don't know how to deal with that. Um, but if, like what you said, if they understand that the church is a vehicle for them to feel Christ, then it's okay to any, any sort of, uh, maybe we could say like a minor belief that under underneath Christ is taken care of because of your relationship with him. It's really good. It's a good discussion, our listeners. Most of these podcasts we start without this big outline of these are pretty unstructured podcasts, and often um, there's some really wonderful things shared by our guests, like Max, and things that help us all do better. I love, I sense Max is teaching here and sharing that um, kind of a spokesperson for BYU students in the space is just, you know, we're not and maybe not everybody's the same, but I love what I sense from you is it's not like you're trying to evangelize everybody to your way of thinking. You're just mm-hmm. saying, let create space for people like me and don't, and see our contributions to the body of Christ versus see the things that we are uncomfortable about. And our relationship with the church would be more about the, the way we can contribute to the church and our gifts and our attributes and not the things that perhaps we don't hold traditional beliefs with. And that to me is... Um, a feeling of belonging. We don't have to require us to, Brene Brown says, you know, what is that quote, listeners? You're not re, um, fitting in, it's assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be in order to fit in, which is exhausting if you don't hold 100 of 100 beliefs. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So if we can allow people to belong based on where they are in their journey, and not be prescriptive and they have to get to a certain place before we'll welcome them or help allow them to feel like they belong. I just think more people stay. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anything either of us said is outside the doctrine of our church or what Christ, you know, we're not, neither of us are advocating for different doctrine mm-hmm. or being critical of our leaders. We just want people to feel like they can belong based on who they are and create space for them. Any closing thoughts, Max? No, I... I really like, I really enjoyed this conversation. This was um, alleviating. <laughs> I think um, we were in charge of that, you know? We can make that change. Um, we shouldn't wait around for other people to be more inclusive for us. We should be that change and include as much people as we can as members of the church. Love that. So Max Terry, my friend, psychology major at BYU, going to help a lot of people in addiction recovery. I sense you helped a bunch of people in Chile, Santiago Mission. I've always looked at our baptism covenants as this cross. There's this horizontal element that goes sideways, and that's all about helping others bear, mourn, and comfort, and you're doing a lot of that. Um, To me, that's a core part of our mission on earth is that part, and there's this vertical component, our relationship with God and Um, You're doing both of those. So thanks for your contributions and thank you for being on a podcast. You have a great life ahead of you, Max. And I hope our listeners can feel this, this good man's heart and his sincerity um, and his desire to do what's right. And that's certainly my experience with a lot of wonderful, our wonderful guests. And we'll thank you, our listeners for joining us on another episode of listen, learn and love hosted by Richard Osler. Mm -hmm.